Greetings, friends and brethren. The Bible says that we should teach what Jesus taught, and that's what we're going to do in this particular sermon. So if you take your Bibles, please turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and we're going to start reading in verse 18. Now, frequently in the Continuing Church of God, I quote Matthew uh, 28, uh, 19 through 20, and so to get started, this introduction, if you will, for this particular sermon, we're going to start verse 18. It says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus starts off by saying, Okay, I have all authority, so you should be listening to what I'm going to tell you. So what is it that he said? Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we do that in the continuing church of God. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So you notice that Jesus said to go throughout the whole world, preach the gospel, make disciples, and baptize them, but also teach them all things that he commanded. Well, what did he command? Well, he commanded lots of things. So today I thought I would go through the book of Mark, or the Gospel according to Mark, as it's usually called, and go through what Jesus commanded. Because, again, it says, as Christians, or Christian leaders, we're supposed to go and teach whatever he commanded. Now, I personally was not, not that old, in the sense that I was not around uh, nearly 2,000 years ago, or actually, Jesus was on nearly 2,000 years ago, uh, but when he was doing this, it was just under 2,000 years ago. Uh, I, I, would, I didn't know him personally. I didn't go up to him, and he didn't give me uh, a few comments. Oh, here's a new commandment, or this is a new commandment. He does have commandments that are mentioned in, in the Bible, in various commands. And so since I don't know him personally in that respect, I mean, we are supposed to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but in terms of actually knowing him like a regular human being, Again, not being around them, we've got to rely on what was recorded for us. And what was recorded for us is this word. And specifically, while Jesus was on the earth, uh, the four gospel accounts are written. Uh, well, they were written to record what happened to him when he, was on, when he was on the earth. And there were other things that recorded later, up to and including the book of Revelation, which is where the New Testament ends. But we're going to start with the book of Mark. And to look at Mark is what I'm going to go through today. Now, first of all, just from a church history perspective, why is it called the Gospel according to Mark? Well, there's some hints in the back of the book that suggest that Mark wrote it. Uh, and there's a, if you tie in some things in the book and you tie some things in the book of Acts and other places, you get the impression that uh, Mark wrote it. But also, for those of you who follow church history a little bit, there was a leader uh, who seemed to be a Church of God leader who was a disciple of the Apostle John by the name of Papias. And Papias said that Mark wrote it. Uh, we don't know if everything that Papias said was accurate because a couple of things he wrote didn't, uh, may have been mistranslated or maybe he didn't understand things perfectly. But basically that's one of the reasons why it's believed that Mark wrote this particular account. Anyway... The other thing about the book of Mark, before we go into, is it's basically been believed that Mark was with the Apostle Peter. And the Apostle Peter told him things that happened. And when Papias 
uh, wrote about this or spoke about this particular book, he said that uh, Mark heard things that Peter told him, but that everything in the book was not necessarily sequential, which is kind of important because when you go through some of the sequences, uh, the prophetic sequences sometimes with Mark, it doesn't all necessarily completely seem to line up with, let's say, the account in Matthew. So Papias' comment was, at least to me, interesting. Anyway, the book of Mark starts off talking about John the Baptist, who was going to prepare the way for Jesus. And now we're going to go to verse 14. Book of Mark, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 14. I'm going to try to cover the words that Jesus said, because again, as it said in Matthew, Jesus wanted his people would be told whatever Jesus commanded them. So it says, Mark 1, verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So you notice that Jesus started off preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Now this gospel is the gospel of the kingdom, which basically was trying to tell the Jews and others at the time who would listen that the way humanity has been ruling the world is not working correctly. And what it's going to take is, is uh, God's kingdom to be on the earth, and that's good news. The word gospel means good news. Um, and when we say the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Matthew, these four, uh, and Luke and John, let me go four, these accounts have been called Gospels, but that's kind of, a, they're really kind of a different kind of literature. Uh, gospels means they're the good newses. So the good news according to Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John. But the good news basically has to do with the kingdom of God, which includes uh, Jesus Christ coming and dying for our sins, but also to return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Well, going down to verse 16, it says, And he, that's Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, were casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, this picture of Simon is a Simon who became uh, uh, Peter. And you'll notice that Jesus said he wanted them to stop fishing for fish, or doing their physical jobs. But instead, what he wanted them to do was become fishers of men. Now, God is not calling all of us to be uh, full-time fishers of men. But we are commanded to support the work of God and to do the work of God, which includes proclaiming the work of God. And through people's uh, examples with your lives, through your prayers, ties, uh, offerings in support of the work of God, as well as personal testimony and other things you may do. You too uh, are, have basically joined this army that we call the Church of God. It's a nonviolent army, by the way. Uh, and in a sense, are fishers of men. Now, dropping down to uh, verse uh, 22, it says, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he went to the synagogue and taught. People were astonished at his teaching because he spoke as one having authority, not as the scribes. The scribes kind of read it and it's like, okay, whatever. And probably the scribes were affected by the scholars of the time. So there were probably arguments about what one passage meant 
versus another passage, and there were probably different interpretations. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus taught like he knew what he was talking about. And as the Son of God, he certainly did. It says there was a man in the synagogue who had an unclean spirit. In verse 25, uh, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And then the uh, unclean spirit came out. People were astonished. So this showed people that Jesus had some kind of power that was different than others, and Jesus certainly was different, not only with the ability to cast out demons and that type of a thing, but also to understand the Word of God. And Jesus wants us to understand the Word of God, to study the Word of God. As the Apostle Paul taught, he says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and preachers need to go out and explain the Word of God to help people understand it better. And that's what I'm trying to do today. Again, trying to go through specifically the things that Jesus commanded. So, since I'm going to focus on the commands of Jesus, I don't intend to read every word in the book of Mark, but I do intend to read the things that Jesus commanded. So cutting down to verse 35. Again, if you have your Bibles, this is a good one to follow along with because it's pretty easy the order I'm planning on, on going. It says, in the morning, a while before the daybreak, he went out and departed the solitary place there, and he prayed. And I mentioned before that one of the things as fishers of men that we should be doing is praying. And Simon, those who were with him, went and searched for him. When they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. Verse 38. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I might preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. So what purpose did he have? He came to go forth to preach to different ones to get the gospel out. Because we've read in uh, Mark 1.14, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So that's what he was doing in these various towns. And he, uh, as it says in verse 39, he preached in their synagogues throughout Galilee, and he also he says he cast out demons. So it wasn't just this one that he did. And a leper came to him in verse 40, said, you know, if you can, if you're willing, excuse me, if you're willing, uh, I can be clean. So Jesus said, I am willing to be cleansed. And as he spoke, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. But notice he says, he warned him. He said, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So Jesus told this person, look, yes, you've been cleansed, but because you had leprosy, there are procedures that you're supposed to follow. Go to the priest and do that. And don't tell anybody anything. Unfortunately, he went out and he blabbed when he should not have blabbed. Now, this doesn't mean that we're never supposed to tell anybody anything, but it does mean that there is a time and a place to proclaim certain things and a time and a place to not do it. Again, look at Jesus specifically commanded this person to not tell anybody, but go right to the priest. So Jesus isn't telling everybody to bother everybody or to preach constantly to people who don't want to hear it. And in this particular case, um, because this person didn't do what Jesus said, uh, he couldn't go uh, proclaim it into the city. He couldn't op openly enter the city because uh, he was got too, too popular. He had to go to deserted places, so it kind of changed what he was doing. And then he went into Capernaum, and there was various ones who wanted to hear him. And some people brought a friend of theirs out who was paralyzed, and they couldn't get to him, so they kind of broke through the roof 
And Jesus uh, saw their faith, and we saw it, saw the paralytic. He said to him, verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven you. So I'm presuming this meant this guy was uh, younger than Jesus, but perhaps not. And then some people were thinking, how this man commits blasphemy because he can't forgive sins. And Jesus knew what was going on. And he said, verse 8, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. By that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus wanted to make it clear that this was a power he had. He could actually forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And then he did that, and then people were amazed. They glorified God because they'd never seen anybody do that. Yes, Jesus, the God that we worship, the God of the Bible, the Logos, the Word, has this kind of power. And he still has this kind of power. He actually, actually has more power now than he was uh, when he was on the earth, and we'll get to that later. Uh, he went by, in verse 13, by, went out again. He taught. He saw Levi, the son of uh, Alphaeus, sitting on a, at the tax office, said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. Now, if Jesus has called you to follow him, you should follow him. Not think, oh, I don't know if I should. Maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't. No. Notice he called some who followed him, and that's what we as Christians should be doing. Now, verse 16, uh, the scribes and Pharisees noticed that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. They said to his disciples, how can he do this? And Jesus heard of it in verse 17. He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I don't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, in other gospel accounts, by the way, Jesus basically told the Pharisees, You people think you're clean, but you're not. You think you can see, but you're, you're, uh, you say you're not blind, but you say you can see, so you don't have any excuse. But the Pharisees needed to repent too. They didn't understand sin. And a lot of people today think that sin is only something absolutely obvious to them. Uh, you know, hair length or uh, dress length or uh, makeup or certain other, more of the physical things. And it's not that uh, how someone appears, other dress length or all that kind of stuff can't be important. And, you know, the Bible says men should not have long hair and things like that. But the, the Pharisees' focus was wrong. They never really got it. And Jesus is trying to tell them some things that they didn't really want to hear. And the Pharisees asked about fasting and said, you know, other people fast. How come your disciples aren't fasting? And Jesus said, can the friends of the bridegroom fast? This is verse 19 of Mark chapter 2. While the bridegroom is with them, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they can't fast. But the days will come and the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. So we're in a time where Jesus is not personally with us as he was with the disciples. So yes, as Christians, we should fast from time to time. That means we should fast other than just once a year at the Day of Atonement. Uh, because everybody was fasting then, so there was no question whether or not the disciples were fasting then. So it is something that uh, Christians should do. It's, uh, it helps us to draw closer to God and to humble ourselves. So we should fast, and Jesus said that. So again, remember, I'm trying to read the things that Jesus commanded that he wanted his disciples to tell others, and this is what this was recorded in the Gospel of uh, Mark, in this case, and so that's what I'm quoting. 
Verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine in the old wineskins, or else the wine bursts, the wineskins, and, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new uh, wineskins. Jesus is trying to tell them that they need to consider changing their ways uh, to be willing to really change, not just put a, a small part of new into them, because that could destroy the, destroy their part of you, but to basically start anew. And that's what God wants us to do. After we've been called, we repent, we've been baptized, and our sins are forgiven, we're supposed to start a new life and not want to see how much of the old we can keep and how little of the new we can put into our life. And that's what Jesus was talking about here amongst other things. Now, in verse 23, uh, the Pharisees criticized uh, Jesus because his disciples were uh, picking up some grain on the Sabbath when they're walking through the field. Uh, so they claimed this was not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Uh, there was no scripture, by the way, they could point to about this particularly, but this was their interpretation. And apparently enough of their scholars had agreed with that, that they decided they were comfortable in approaching Jesus. But he said in verse 25, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, and he and those with him? They went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and they ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests. And he also gave some of those who were with him. Verse 27, he said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus was telling them there, that a couple of things, that their focus on the Sabbath was wrong, and he was the Lord, the master of the Sabbath. In other words, he could tell people how to keep the Sabbath. And he said, no, it was okay that the, when they were walking the field and they were hungry, they picked some grain. You know, the uh, Old Testament said, by the way, if you were in somebody's field, uh, you could pick grain or you could pick some fruit and stuff when you're walking through it. But what it did say, however, is there was a limit. You couldn't bring a container. Okay, you couldn't go and bring a big basket and, and do a lot of work. But if you're walking through, you could pick a few things and eat. Jesus said that was certainly fine. And the Pharisees didn't agree, but Jesus said that it was. Now in chapter 3, there was somebody who had a withered hand. And Jesus said to him in verse 3, step forward. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill. Now, they did this. They put this withered hand man by Jesus because they, they were pretty sure it was wrong to heal on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus didn't charge for what he was doing. And so he asked them, but they wouldn't answer. Now, they in their hearts are like, yeah, we're going to get this guy. So Jesus, should you do good or bad on the Sabbath? You know, you're supposed to save life or kill it. And they go, well, we better not say that. So they just shut up. And uh, he looked around them, and he was angry. Sometimes people make it sound like, you know, Jesus never got mad or anything, because Jesus was angry, being grieved at the hardness of their hearts. He realized they're just trying to set him up, and they don't care. They didn't get the, uh, they didn't understand what God's covenant was all about. It, it wasn't just about some statutes and some laws. Yes, we obey the laws that God wants us to keep, and yes, we know they're for our good. But hopefully we don't miss the big picture. And that's Jesus was grieved. They didn't get it. So he said, stretch out your hand. 
Now, what if the man decided, I'm not going to stretch out my hand because that would be work on the Sabbath. But he listened to Jesus, and we should always still listen to Jesus. He stretched out his hand, and it was restored. They both looked the same. And that was uh, impressive. And then great multitudes uh, heard about this, and they wanted to, uh, to follow him. But the, the Pharisees, instead of glorifying God, they wanted to see how they could destroy him. It says in verse 6, well, later, verse uh, 13 says, He went to the, up to the mountain and called those who he had himself wanted. And they came to him, and he pointed twelve that they might be with him, that he might stretch, send them out to preach and have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. So Jesus appointed the twelve apostles, and they're named here. And you can read those uh, later if you don't know what they are, if you want to learn more about them. Now, this thing about casting out demons apparently upset the, uh, the scribes and Pharisees. They, they were thinking something's not right about this too. And so they basically said, Jesus has Beelzebub, which is a name for Satan, because by the ruler of the demons, he cast them out. And verse 23, Jesus called them to, and said, in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. So this, Jesus is saying here, I'm doing this for lots of reasons. One is to show you that Satan's got an end. Satan's way is not going to stay. Satan's kingdom cannot last. But then he says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he binds it, the strong man, and he will plunder his house. So we're seeing here that Jesus is admitting that Satan has a certain type of power, but he also wanted to make it clear that uh, through the Father, he had power over, over Satan, and that Satan's kingdom was not going to last. If you take your Bibles, let's go over for just a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I don't plan on going to too many other scriptures out of out of sequence here, but this is one I did write down. First Corinthians chapter ten, uh, verse twelve says, "Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able." But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, why read that in, in along with uh, Mark 3, uh, 23 through 28? Well, to warn us, to warn all of us, that Satan is a strong man and that we can be influenced. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. We need to be careful. Uh, the Bible also says Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We shouldn't think that even if we've been in the church for decades, uh, we can't be tempted, we're not being tempted, we're above that. Jesus is cautioning that Satan does have power and we should pay attention to it. But he's also teaching the way of Satan will end. Now going to verse uh, 28, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. A lot of people don't realize, don't believe that. 
They think they've committed sins that God will not forgive. They think others have committed sins and acts that are unforgivable and without excuse. But that's not what Jesus is teaching. And again, we're supposed to be teaching you all things Jesus commanded. So I'm going to try to do that. Uh, hopefully not miss too much of this when I go over the, over the book of Mark today. And whatever blasphemies they may utter will also be forgiven. Verse 29, But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. And it says because he said that he had an unclean spirit. Well, let's go for, go back into this for a moment. Notice Jesus said that all things would be forgiven except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. All blasphemies would be forgiven if God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are were three co-equal members of the Godhead, like the Trinitarians teach. Blasphemy against the Father would be the same as blasphemy against the Son, which would be the same as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But that is not the case. The Bible says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is something different, which also tells us the Holy Spirit is therefore not the equal, uh, an equal third of the Godhead, again, as the Trinitarians like to teach. So what is this teaching? How does one blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Um, I will probably do a sermon or a sermonette at some point in time in more depth about the unpardonable sin. But let me say this. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to receive God's Spirit, know the way that's right, instead reject it intentionally and choose the way that's wrong. Now, it doesn't mean once you have God's Spirit that you can't sin. Because we all sin. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and falling short of the glory of God. And then uh, in John, in the epistles of John, John says, you know, if we say we're without sin and we're a liar, then the truth's not in us. So we, we certainly do sin. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is completely to reject the way of God once you truly do understand it. And that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that will not be forgiven. So you say, you mean people who committed atrocities during the Holocaust or various wars uh, people who rape women or children and all those kind of things can be forgiven? Uh, yes, they can. Uh, I think the understanding of why will be clearer for people later. And again, I hope to cover that if uh, I do a sermon on this particular, that particular subject. But again, notice Jesus said, unless you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, all sins are to be forgiven. So you have an opportunity for your sins to be cleansed. Even though sins you think are still there that God really didn't forgive them. Jesus said, Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. Okay, so the forgiveness is out there if you want it. Now, going further along, Jesus' mother and brothers uh, uh, came out there to, uh, to see him. Or at least, his, yeah, they came to see him. And I find this passage interesting. He answered and said, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around the circle and said, Here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now why is this important? This is important because some associated with the Church of Rome and some other uh, faiths believe that Jesus' mother Mary should be exalted above all others, she uh, did not sin, 
As a matter of fact, the day I'm actually taping this, is, uh, which is uh, October 13th, is called Marian Day, which is a day that they're observing in the Vatican, in Fatima, Portugal, and other places because of an alleged miracle uh, that happened in Fatima, Portugal on October 13th, 1917 by an apparition that could not possibly have been Mary, uh, Mother of Jesus, uh, said would happen. There was some, some kind of disturbance in the sky and uh, tens of thousands supposedly saw this and so they're doing this and the, the, uh, uh, the, the Pope is supposed to, actually today is the, the 12th, it's the 12th that they start the celebrations uh, for this and they've already started them in, in Rome. Today is, today is the 12th. On the 13th, the, the Pope is supposed to uh, do some things related to the quote, Immaculate Heart of Mary because they actually teach despite what it says in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that Mary didn't have sin when she was born, and many Catholics believe she never sinned, which again goes against Scripture. But you notice Jesus didn't treat his mother like she was greater than everyone else. She was a sinless being that should be revered beyond normalcy. Uh, and I believe that he's making this clear in the book of Mark, which is again one of the things that I think he had written down for us to understand. Going into Mark chapter 4, he started to tell a parable. He says, uh, Listen, a sower went out to, the, to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Verse 6, But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root withered away, and some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop, that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, some hundredfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus said that, and the, the disciples came up to him and asked him about this. Now, I was told that parables were told by Jesus so people would understand everything he said because he was just speaking to the common man. But actually, this, the disciples said, well, you know, why tell me about this? And he said to them, verse 11, To you, that is to the true Christians, those who are willing to truly follow God in the way of life that Jesus set forth, it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those out, who are outside, all things come in parables. So they'll understand? No. This is what Jesus said. So seeing, they may see and not perceive, and hearing, they may hear and not understand. Lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Now, you just read in Mark 3.28, Jesus is going to forgive, but right now he's not. So Jesus is teaching a couple of things. He's saying, look, I'm teaching in parables now because this is not the time for everybody to be converted. Yes, their sins will be forgiven, as I've said a few passages before. Well, he didn't use that expression there, but he did say that before. But this was not the time. God is not calling everyone to be in the kingdom of God yet. He wants that message to go out. He wants people to hear it. But in this day and age, not everyone is going to respond. And actually, most people will not. Only a small percentage will respond now. Others will respond in the age to come. And that, if you put together what Jesus said in Mark 3 as well as Mark 4, you can start to see that Jesus was teaching that particular doctrine. Now, he says to his disciples, Don't you understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? So Jesus explains this one. Verse 14, the sower who sows the word. So the sower is the one sowing the word. 
And that's what we're trying to do in the Continuing Church of God, through the sermons, through online articles, through YouTube videos, uh, personal contact, radio, other forms of media. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately. Remember, I told you, Satan's got power. And he takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So a lot of people get an emotional, hey, this sounds good. But they don't act on it, and they'll let Satan to take it away. These are like the ones, these likewise are the ones sown, sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves. They endure only for a time. Now the Bible says that Christians are supposed to endure to the end. Real Christians, not just hear something, oh, that sounds good. And then jump from one fad to the other and not truly change their lives, truly become a new creation in Christ. Afterward, when tribulation and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, verse 18, these are the ones sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and becomes unfruitful. So these are people who started off and they stayed a little bit longer, but things started to get uh, a little difficult in some ways, and it's like, well, you know, I don't really want to tithe because it's, you know, I could want to do that. Plus, I'd rather have this, and I don't really want to truly rest on the Sabbath. I'd rather uh, involve more carnal pursuits. Verse 20. There's another group. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So we're supposed to bear fruit. As I mentioned before, Jesus wants his disciples to be fishers of men. And he said to them, Is a lamp bought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? Verse 22. For there is nothing hidden which shall not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret that it should come, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. So hopefully those of you who are listening, you will hear what, what I'm saying. You'll hear the word of God being preached here. And then you will get more. Verse 25, for whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And we're supposed to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if one should scatter seed in the ground and should sleep by day and rise, no, excuse me, sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Yeah, so when we go out, we preach, we put things on the internet, we put YouTubes out, we put articles out. We don't know how it's going to grow. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So again, there's a harvest. Some of the harvest will be in this age and other portions of the harvest will be in the age to come. Now verse 30 says, What shall we like in the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we picture it? It's like a mustard seed which is when it's sown in the ground, is smaller than all the seeds in the earth, but when it's sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs, shoots, shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. 
So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's really small. People don't understand that in this age, the true church of God is very small. Now, interestingly, over at the uh, www.cogwriter.com website, I have an article, The Parable of Mustard Seed. It's been popular for years. It's one I rarely have promoted. But I guess people out there in the world or people who are Christians and in the Church of God have been interested in that particular subject. But in the continuing Church of God, we're sort of like a mustard seed. Um, we start very small, but we're spreading. And we're reaching people in hundreds of countries and territories according to uh, statistics that we've, we've taken a look at. Now continuing, verse 35, on the same day when... When evening had come, he said, let's cross over the other side. And while they're over there, he goes to sleep, and it gets stormy. And they said to him, don't you care that we're perishing? Verse 39, he rose and rebuked the wind and said, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? Why is it you have no faith? Well, they're shocked that... Jesus had this kind of power to stop the wind and all that kind of stuff. Wow, this is really great. But Jesus said, look, you need to have faith. As do we. We need to understand that the work that God has started in us, He will see it to completion. We have to have faith in God. Um, if, it's, if we have the faith in God and it's our time to go, we'll, we'll go. But if it's not our time, if we have the proper faith in God and we're living as God wants us to, we, we will not go before our time. We need to have faith. They just, ah, storm, we're over. It's just done. And Jesus said, uh, no. And in verse, uh, uh, chapter 5, we start to see about someone else uh, who, was, uh, who couldn't be shackled because of the demons that were in him. And he said to Jesus, why are you uh, bothering me? And, and then Jesus said to him, had said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he says, what's your name? He says, our name is Legion because we're many. And there were a bunch of swine and the demon said, oh, let us go to the swine. So Jesus said, all right, go ahead. And he cast out the demons and they all, they went to the swine and the swine ran off the cliff and they all drowned. And the people there didn't like this because you know, they were making money off the pigs and they didn't want Jesus to be around. But he, when he got in the boat, the man who was demon-possessed, this is verse 18, begged that he could be with him. Now, now, notice this. This is different than the man Jesus uh, cured of leprosy. Jesus didn't permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. So then he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all the things Jesus has done for him and all marveled. Decapolis means ten cities, so he went to some ten cities area and he told people. So there was a time Jesus wanted uh, one of his miracles, in this particular case, told to people. Sometimes he didn't want it, and it would depend, I'm certain, on the person, the circumstances, the towns, and the people that he was going to, uh, to deal with. Now further, there were more things that were happening. If you go to verse 25 of Mark chapter 5, it says there's a certain woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She saw the physicians, they didn't help her, just made her... Uh, poor. So she went and touched him. She just had the faith. If she could just touch his garment, that would do it. And verse 30, Jesus said, who touched my clothes? Disciples, look, there's all these people around. How could you ask that? And 
Then the, the woman knew. She was fearful. She trembled for him. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So again, notice in this particular case, unlike the disciples who didn't have a lot of faith when there was a storm, this woman had faith. And so she was healed. And the uh, similarly, there's a situation further. If you go down here, verse 35, somebody's daughter had died. Jesus heard this, and he said uh, to the ruler of the synagogue, Don't be afraid, only believe. He wouldn't let anybody in with him except Peter, James, and John. Verse 39, he came in. What's this commotion? The child's not dead, but sleeping. They ridiculed him. Verse 41, he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, now I don't read Aramaic, so which is probably the language this was. Translated means, little girl, I say this to you, arise. So now at least we know what it means. So she arose, and everybody was surprised, with great amazement. So Jesus had a lot of power and a lot of ability to do things. The, uh, the Father granted him to do while he was on the earth. And in verse 6, uh, he went to his own country, and when the Sabbath came, he went to teach in the synagogues. And people were kind of wondering, you know, how did he get all this authority and all that kind of stuff? But again, notice that he went in the synagogues to preach on the Sabbath, which is what we're trying to do now. They didn't care for, they were concerned about him, thinking oh, he couldn't be, any, he's not anybody. We don't think he's anybody. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled at their unbelief. You notice he could, it says he uh, could not do mighty works there. So he had limits while he was on earth of the of power and authority the Father let him have. And because of unbelief apparently that was part of it. Uh, so he did not have all power when he was on the earth. But it is interesting, I mean, before he was resurrected, but it's interesting, again, he said, a prophet has no honor except uh, uh, among, he, he says, excuse me, prophet's not without honor except among some people who think they know him too well or and think they have their own criteria of what prophet should be. I'll add that there. And that's a problem today. And he then called his disciples together, sent them out two by two. Verse 10, it says, whatever place you enter, the house, stay there till you depart from the place. Whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony to them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And then they went out. Now, I would like to make a comment about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, while we consider the Bible is true, and it says that homosexuality is an abomination, and that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of that type of abomination. You'll notice that just because the city was destroyed, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, that these people will have an opportunity the day of judgment. Again, Jesus said all sins will be forgiven except uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So those of you who think that certain types of sin are not going to be forgiven, you need to pay attention to what Jesus actually taught, which is what I'm trying to teach you here. Various ones uh, wanted to kill Christ or do something with him. Uh, but we're going to go down to verse 30. 
disciples gathered to Jesus, told him all these things, when he were, had done in terms of casting out demons and that kind of stuff. And he said to them, Come aside yourself to a deserted place and rest for a while. So they went by themselves. So Jesus recognized sometimes as we were out at work, they do, people do need to rest. Then a lot of people went and followed them. And they wanted to send them away, verse uh, 36, the people who followed Jesus to go to the villages and get something to eat. They don't have anything. Jesus said, give them something to eat. They said, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread to get them something to eat? And Jesus said, how much loaves do you have? Go and see. He says, we've got five plus two fish. He says, that's enough. He commanded them to get together, go into ranks and groups. He took up the loaves and the two fish. He looked to heaven, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples. They spread it out and they had more leftovers than when they had started. Then he had his disciples go into a boat to go to the other side to Bethsaida. And he sent the multitude away. He departed to a mountain to go and pray. And then he started walking on the sea, which of course shocked everybody. In verse 50 he said, Be of good cheer, uh, does I don't be afraid. And they marveled. They were surprised. They just didn't realize. You would think after seeing all these miracles, they realized, okay, if he can stop the wind and he can... Uh, uh, raised the dead uh, cast out demons uh, and the incidents with uh, all the swine running down the hills you'd think that they would have fully gotten it but just seeing these things they were not converted to the degree that they needed to be we read about these things and we need to be converted ourselves the Pharisees that came together and they didn't like verse 7 in chapter 7 they didn't like the fact that disciples didn't always wash their hands when they went to eat and Jesus said to them verse 6 well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as is written this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men I want to stop here I've seen in various church groups inside and outside of groups claiming to be in the church of God that sometimes people rely on traditions of men even when they don't agree with scripture uh, this was a problem that Jesus noticed it's been a problem ever since it's a problem now uh, we need to be careful that we don't exalt writings or traditions of certain leaders above that of scripture Jesus said for laying aside the commandment of God you hold the tradition of men the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. So there's a lot of things you people do you think is more important than the commandments of God, but it's not. He says, you reject the commandment of God that you might keep your tradition. Says, For Moses said, I'm your mother, father and your mother. And he who curses father and mother will then be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you may have gotten from me is korban. In other words, what I was supposed to give you, instead, it's a gift to God so I don't have to honor you. Then you no longer let them do anything for his father and mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down. And many such things you do. And I've seen this in uh, the Greco-Roman churches, and I've seen some of this in churches of God, where people decide that certain traditions are more important than what the Bible teaches. He called the multitude himself, he said, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What Jesus is saying, look, if you 
get some dirty accidentally eat some things you're not supposed to, that's that doesn't spiritually defile you. What you say and how you think certainly can. And his disciples asked him concerning this, and he said in verse 18, Are you thus without understanding also? It's like he thought maybe you guys they would have gotten it by then. Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying the, f- the food. What comes out of a man defiles a man. From within, out of the heart... Okay, I'll maybe reread this. Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. And that's what Jesus is focusing on. You need to be careful about those kinds of things and not so careful about, you know, that be picking on where their hands should be washed. Yes, of course your hands are dirty if it makes sense to wash your hands. But he's saying, you know, you don't have to wash your hands every time before you eat all the time. And then there were others, and there was a, a woman who wanted a demon cast out of her daughter. Jesus said, let the children be filled first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. This woman was a Gentile, and Jesus was saying, you know, we're not, I didn't really come to deal with you at this time. But she said, look, even dogs get to eat crumbs that fall off the table. Maybe I can have some crumbs. So she said, he said to her, verse 29, for this saying, go your way, the demon is gone out of your daughter. So he decided to make an exception. Uh, he knew he wasn't. He mainly came to speak to the uh, the lost tribes of Israel and the and, and the Jews specifically, but he also had compassion to other things. And speaking of that, there was someone who had an, uh, who was deaf, an impediment of speech. And he spat and he t- touched his tongue, and he said, "Afatha, be opened." And his ears were opened, and he could speak plainly. But he commanded him, don't tell anyone openly. He didn't want people to know that, and perhaps this person listened to him at the time. Going to chapter 8, we see the multitude is getting pretty big. Jesus says, I've got compassion on the multitude because I've, they've been with me for three days, and I have anything to eat. If I send away hungry their houses, some are going to faint on the way, for some have come really far. His disciples said, well, how can we satisfy them in the wilderness? He says, well, how many loaves do you have? Seven. So he took those seven loaves, gave thanks, and broke them. He also had a few small fish, and he blessed them. He passed them around. And they fed. They were fed. Then he immediately got in the boat, and he went away. Then the Pharisees came out, and they wanted to dispute with him. They wanted to see a certain sign from heaven testing him. And that's what happens sometimes. People have decided that uh, God's leaders have to give them certain types of signs. And Jesus said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Well, later he said the sign given is the three days and three nights sign. But basically, he wasn't going to do a sign on command for people. Uh, and he knew they wouldn't listen anyway. Verse 15 uh, 14, disciples forgot to bring some bread, and he said to them, verse 15, Take here, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they thought, oh, it's going to be bring me bread. 
Jesus kind of says in verse 17, Why do you reason we don't have any bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see and hear? Do you not hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets and fragments did you take up? Twelve. said, And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? Seven. How is it that you don't get it? Well, in uh, Luke uh, twelve one, which we won't go there right now, but Jesus said that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy, and that's what he was trying to warn them about. About this, he wasn't trying to say it had anything to do with bread, because he said he can make bread. And then a blind man came up to him, and uh, he restored him in verse twenty six, and he said to him, "Don't go into town. Don't tell anyone in town." So again, this is another miracle Jesus did not want people to tell people about. Verse 27, he wanted to know who people said he was. They gave different answers, and he said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. And then Jesus strictly warned them that they should not tell anybody about him. This was not the time Jesus wanted everybody to be told that. Some knew it, but he didn't want everybody to know it. Now, then he started to teach he was going to be rejected and uh, killed and rise after three days. And Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Notice what Jesus said to Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of things of God, but things of men. So sometimes we see certain problems happen. We think, oh, this isn't the way it has. It's got to be something different. We understand that sometimes we don't fully understand God's ways. And uh, Jesus went so far to call Peter... Satan, for what he had done. When he called the people to himself, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. And that's getting back to this whole wineskin concept that he was talking about. Got uh, it completely new. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory of his Father and his holy angels. So Jesus said that, and then he says, Assuredly I say to you, there's some standing here who will not taste death until they sing the kingdom of God come with power. So after six days, he took Peter, James, and John, and he was transfigured before them so they could see, basically, a vision of what Jesus would be like. And then later, verse 11, they asked him, saying, Why did the scribes say Elijah must come first? And he answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is written concerning the Son of Man, he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has already come, and they did to him what they wish is written of him. Now, what Jesus is teaching here is a couple different things. One, he said, yes, John the Baptist was a type of Elijah. He came, and they wouldn't listen. But and Elijah would come and restore all things. And while a lot of people would like to think, for example, in the Church of God, that that was the late Herbert Armstrong, I'll make two brief comments. One, in his book, The Mystery of the Ages, he said the Elijah would come at the very end of the Church Age. And 
Herbert Armstrong has been dead since uh, January 1986, so that, that's been a long time. And Herbert Armstrong, while he did claim he restored certain truths to the Church of God that the Sardis errors and some of the other errors had lost, uh, I do not recall reading anything or hearing any sermon or telecast or radio broadcast where he said he restored all things. So it says Elijah is coming first and restores all things, which means that there are still some things that are to be restored. And then he came to his disciples, and there was a great multitude, and they saw him, and he wanted to know what, uh, what you were discussing with them. And there was somebody who had a, uh, a mute spirit, and he got seizures. In verse 19, he answered, said, O faithful generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought him to Jesus because the disciples hadn't been able to cast him out, and he cast him out. And so Jesus said to his father in verse 21, How long has this been happening from childhood? And he says, You can do anything. Help us. He says, If you can believe, all things are possible for him who believes. Now, interestingly, the father drops to his knees and says, Lord, I believe. At least I think it's to his knees. He cried out with tears and said, Help my unbelief. And Jesus uh, rebuked the unclean spirit. Deaf and dumb spirit come out and enter him no more. The, the spirit came out, the body convulsed, and that was it. Disciples wanted to know about this, and Jesus said, This kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. It's another admonition from Jesus to his followers that to pray and also to fast. Now, cutting down to verse 31, Jesus said, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he's killed, he's going to rise in the third day. But they didn't understand what he was talking about. And then it talks about verse 33. What was it you disputed amongst yourself on the road? But they didn't want to say. Why? Because they were ashamed. Because they wanted to be the greatest. Jesus says, If any one of you desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. He took a little child and said, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Jesus is saying you've got to have the right attitude, the right spirit. And also, by the way, you should receive even the lowest, because the children, children were considered like the, the lowest uh, position, if you will, in terms of uh, society at that time and most, and most, most societies for that matter. And then Jesus' disciples said, Hey, we saw someone else who cast out demons, but they weren't with us. Jesus said, Don't forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon speak afterward evil of me. For who is not against us is on our side. Whoever gives us a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say he will by no means lose his reward. So yeah, are there Church of God groups who are not with us? Yes. Are they doing some kind of a work? Yes. Do I wish they would be closer and support us? Yes. But we don't go out and stop them from doing uh, that work. We hope that they will see the benefits of supporting those of us in the continuing Church of God as we lead the final phase of the work. But we don't prevent them from, from doing whatever work uh, they may feel they have to do. Verse 42, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, he's thrown in the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go to the Gehenna fire, into the fire that will never be quenched. Again, Jesus is not saying you need to literally cut off your hand, but you should be willing to eliminate 
uh, jobs if you have to, uh, or simplify your way of life. Do what you need to do with God first. It says, where the worm does not die and fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter the life lame than have two feet and cast into Gehenna, into the fire, which will not be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes be cast into Gehenna fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire. So everyone's going to go through tests and trials, Jesus is warning. And every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt's good, but the salt loses its flavor. How will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Try to do good, be right. But understand that things may not always go the way you want them to. It may be some of the tests and trials are very difficult. They asked Jesus about divorce in Matthew, excuse me, Mark 10, verse 2, excuse me, Mark 3, 10, verse 3. What did Moses command you? It says certificate of divorce. Verse 5, Jesus said, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you that precept. For from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what a man has joined together, let not man separate. So the disciples asked about this, and he said, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If a woman divorces her husband and marries another, he commits adultery. Marriage was intended to be for the life of the man and woman, and that's what Jesus is teaching. Verse 14, uh, some, or actually 13, they wanted to bring some little children to Jesus, but the disciples, ah, oh, they're not important, we won't let Jesus see them. He didn't like that. He didn't care how low on the totem pole, if you will, they were in terms of uh, society. He says, Let the little children come to me and don't forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Then someone came up to him and wanted to know, Teacher, what do I have to do to attain eternal life? Verse 18, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said, Teacher, I've done these since my youth. Jesus said, Okay. There's one thing you lack. Jesus loved him, but there's one thing he knew he lacked. Go your way. Sell what you have. Give the poor that you'll have treasures in heaven. Take up the cross and follow me. But he was not happy about that. It made him sorrowful because he had great possessions. So Jesus looked around, verse 23, How hard is it those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? And trusting in riches will not get you in the kingdom of God. Yes, we know that associated with the Church of Rome, they believe and teach that if you give enough money upon death to the priests, they can help pray you out of a place they call purgatory. But Jesus is saying, no, for riches aren't going to help you. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. A lot of people were astonished. Who's going to be saved? He said, with men, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. Then Peter said, hey, we did all. We left all to follow you. Verse 29, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands 
for my sake or the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last first. We need to understand that just because we could be part of the first fruits that are being called now, doesn't mean that we'll for sure be first in the kingdom. We have to be humble. We have to do what God wants. He took the twelve aside and began to tell them things that would happen to him. Verse 33. Behold, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they'll condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they're going to mock him, scourge him, and spit on him, and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. So Jesus was telling them what was going to happen to him. And James and John came to him. Teacher, we want you to do something for us. What do you want me to do, he says. Grant us so we can sit one of us on your right hand and one on the left hand in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you ask. Can you eat, drink to the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with baptism that I baptize with? And they said, Yeah, we can do that. He says, So Jesus said, You will indeed be baptized drink the cup that I drink with and be baptized with baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it's prepared. Notice that Jesus did not have more authority than the Father. Jesus did not have the ability to decide who was going to sit at his right and left hand later. You'd think that that would be something Jesus would be deciding. He said, no, I don't, I don't even have that authority. So it was the authority his Father had. Then, of course, the other disciple, ten disciples heard about this, and they're, they're acting like, you know, they wouldn't be like this. And Jesus says to them, verse 42, You know those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it's not supposed to be among you. Whoever desires to be great, let him become your servant. Which Jesus said earlier in the book of Mark. So he's saying it again to emphasize it. So hopefully people will, in the church will understand that as well. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then a blind man came up to him, verse 51, Jesus said, what do you want me to do? So the blind man said, well, I'd like to see. And he said to him, your faith has made you whole. And he let him go. Verse 11, or chapter 11, Jesus said, Go to the village opposite you. As soon as you get there, you're going to find a colt tied, which no one sat on. Loose it and bring it. Someone says to you, Why are you doing this? Says, the Lord has need of it. And to bring it here. So they did this to him. And he went and he wrote it. And uh, came in and people uh, said, Hosanna, blessed him who comes in the name of the Lord. Then he sees this fruit tree. Uh, it's supposed to be a fig tree. It's supposed to have fruit on it. And... Uh, he uh, said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. The disciples heard this. We're supposed to bring forth fruit. Now I've heard this say that there were two types of fruit. The normal fruit time and a pre-fruit time on the fig trees. And apparently they should have had at least some kind of fruit. There weren't any. And while we are to bring more fruit forward, uh, probably after the resurrection, more after the resurrection perhaps than we've done prior, we're still supposed to have fruit now. This is the time to have some fruit in our life. And Jesus is saying we should have fruit now. 
Then he goes into the, the area of Jerusalem, and then at the temple area, there's people buying and selling, uh, basically cheating people. And he didn't say, oh, that was, that's nice, you're, you're making money for the Lord, and this is a good thing. Oh, no, verse 17, he taught and said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you made it a den of thieves? And the prior verse says he overturned the uh, money tables and all that kind of stuff, so he expressed his displeasure. Guys shouldn't be doing this, he said, basically. Then they come back to the fig tree. It was all withered. Jesus said, verse 22, Have faith in God. And that's one of the things we're supposed to do. Jesus is commanding us that. For surely I say to you, whoever says this mountain be removed and cast in the sea, but doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes these things, he says, will be done whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you may receive them, and you will have them. And when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you will not forgive, neither your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So we're supposed to forgive if we want our prayers to be heard. Then the, uh, the scribes and priests and elders came up to him and wanted to know what authority he taught from. Verse 29 says, I'll ask you a question, then answer me, and then I'll tell you what authority I do these things. The baptism from John, was it from God or from men? And they, they did not want to give a straight answer. They kind of played it just... They, didn't want to, they wanted to spin it right. He said, we don't know. So Jesus said, well, then I'm not going to tell you. So they didn't get their answer. Then he spoke in parables in chapter 12, verse 1. He planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it. The man did this, dug a place to the wine vat and the tower, and he leased it to the wine dressers. Vine dressers. He went to a far country at vintage time. He sent a servant to them that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard. They took him and they beat him. They sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant. They threw him st stones at him. They wounded him in the head. And he shamefully treated them. They sent others and they killed. And many others they beat and killed some. Therefore, having one son, his beloved, he sent them to them at last, saying, No, respect my son. The vine dresser said, Hey, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and they killed him and cast him out in the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He'll come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes. Basically, Jesus is saying throughout history, God had sent people prophets. But they made fun of them. They stoned some. So finally, God so loved the world, he sent his son Jesus Christ, and that would kill him too. They hadn't killed him at the time he said this, but that's, this is what was going to come. Well, they decided to try some other things to trap Jesus. Wanted to know if he should pay taxes or not. Jesus says, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius and I might see it. And so they did. And he said, whose image is this? They said, Caesar's. He said, give to Caesar the things of Caesar's and to God the things of God. And so, yes, in the continuing church of God, we do believe we have to pay taxes. Then the Sadducees tried to set him up talking about various uh, people who had died, a woman who had had a bunch of husbands. They want to know in the resurrection whose wife they would be, she would be. And this is because they considered women to be lower than men and didn't realize that uh, they didn't understand a lot about God or his plan. Verse 24, Jesus said, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? 
Those, these people thought they were the scholars that they knew the scriptures. But Jesus said, no, you don't. You don't get it. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Concerning the dead, have you not read in the book of Moses that the burning bush passage about how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Therefore, you're greatly mistaken. In the kingdom of God, uh, men are not above women. Uh, men, if you think that that's the case, you're erring by not knowing the, the scriptures. And uh, one of the scribes heard them, perceived he answered them well. He said, what's the first commandment? Jesus said, the first of all commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first commandment. So loving God is the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. There is no other greater commandment to these. And then the person asked him, said, hey, you answered it right. Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God, verse 34. Because the plan is about love. Even before the New Testament was written, uh, one of the scribes understood it. The, he knew, he got, got the point. He understood what the Bible was actually about. A lot of people don't understand that it's about love. They don't get it. Verse 35 says, How does the scribe say that Christ is son of David? For David said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my, your footstool. Therefore, David calls himself Lord. How can he therefore be his son? The common people heard him gladly. So he was telling them that they didn't understand certain things. Then verse 38, he said to them, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. They love greetings in the marketplace, in the best seats of the synagogue, in the best places at the feast. But they'll devour widows' houses for a pretense. They'll make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. So these people don't really have love. They don't really understand what it's about. They like to be taught, treated like they're great people. But they're not, Jesus is saying. Most of them. So uh, there was a time where a widow threw in a very little bit of money, and some other people threw some money in. He says in verse 43, I surely say this poor widow has put in more than all who have given to the treasury. For they all put out their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had, her whole livelihood. So Jesus is commending her because she did put first the kingdom of God. Verse Chapter 13 he saw these disciples, disciples saw the temple and these stones, and Jesus said, You see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another that won't be shut, thrown down. The disciples want to know what's going to happen, and, and Jesus says in verse 5, Take heed, no one deceives you, for many are going to come in my name, saying, I am he. They're going to deceive many, but when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. Kingdom is going to go against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. And we're starting to see these things now. But some people think these sorrows and troubles mean the end is now. The end is not yet. Jesus said. He says, but watch therefore for yourselves. They will deliver you to the councils. You'll be beaten in the synagogues. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for the testimony of them. So we're going to see persecution coming. It says the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And that's what we're trying to do in the continuing church of God. And we hope others will support us. But when they arrest you and deliver you, don't worry beforehand. Premeditate what you'll speak. 
whatever we're given to you in that hour, speak of it, for it's not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Now, brother will betray brother to death, and father, his child, and children will rise against parents and cause them to be put to death. You'll be hated for all for my name's sake, and he, he who endures the end will be saved. So again, Jesus is warning about persecution that's going to come. And just because you're called, baptized in the church of God, keep the Sabbath, tithe, whatever, uh, try to live a Christian life, does not mean that you're not going to have persecution coming up. Then he goes further, Jesus says, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let those who are in Judea flee the mountains, let those who are on their housetop don't go to the house, nor enter take anything of their house, let those who are in the field don't go get his clothes, but what are those who are pregnant and nursing babies in those days? Pray that your flight not be in the winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time, nor shall ever be. Unless the Lord shorten those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he will shorten those days. Now I'm reading this. Some people don't believe that prophecy is important. But again, Jesus said to teach all things he commanded. And this is something that Jesus taught. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe him, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, the, even the elect. But take heed, I told you beforehand. Now after those things, after the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall, the powers of heaven will be shaken. Now this is during the time known as the day of the Lord. Uh, those things will happen. Then... They'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He'll send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth and the farthest part of heaven. This, by the way, passage amongst others, if you tie it with 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 16, 17, and 18, and uh, other passages, you'll see this proves that Jesus is not going to, quote, rapture his people prior to the tribulation, because this gathering and return comes after that. Now going to verse 28, now, learn the parable of the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves. You know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things happening, know the end is near. It's at the doors. So you should be paying attention to prophecy, Jesus is saying. If you see what's going on, then you'll know. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will no lives pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So the generation that's here from the beginning of sorrows... Uh, to, the, to his return will not pass away. For people should be watching for the troubles and signs that Jesus said were going to happen. And we, the continuing church of God, try to teach people these and tell them about them. But that day and hour no one knows, even the angels of heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Again, showing that uh, the Father uh, has a different authority level than Jesus above him. Take heed, watch and pray, for you don't know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to each to his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you don't know when the master of house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster of the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. What I say, I say to you all, watch. And we're trying to get that warning message out so people can watch, so people can be converted now as well as have a witness for the age to come. Now, just before Jesus died, a woman came and they put oil on his feet and anointed him. And some people complained about it. Uh, verse 6 of Mark 14, Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? 
She's done a good work for me. You're always going to have the poor with you. Whatever you may wish, you can do them good. But you don't have me always. She's done what she could. So as Jesus valued people do what they could, just like the widow threw in the two mites. Surely I say to you, where this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be as moral to her. Skipping down verse 13, Jesus said, go into the city, there's a man's going to have a pitcher, and the teacher wants the room to have the, have the Passover. And then uh, he said, when he sat down to do that, he said, uh, one is going to betray me, it's one of the ones who's going to uh, dip with me, it would be better if they weren't born. He took the bread, he blessed it, broke it, and he said, take this and eat, my eat this, this is my body. So Jesus commanded his people to do the Passover. He took the cup, he blessed it, this is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for many. Surely I say to you, I will no longer drink the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So the bread and the wine are part of the Passover that we do. And Jesus warned that people were going to uh, stumble and be scattered in verse 27. And he said in verse 28, After I'm raised, I'm going to see you in Galilee. He tells, Jesus, he tells uh, Peter, who says he's not going to betray him. Yes, you will. You're going to do it three times in verse 30. And he did. Then he tells his disciples to sit with him and pray, verse 32. And then he prays, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even the death. Stay here and watch. He says in verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible. For you, take this cup away from me, if possible. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. We're supposed to want to do God's will, even if it's not always comfortable. Verse 41, he saw that they were asleep. And he says, are you sleeping? The hours come from being betrayed. And they betrayed him. In verse 62, he says, uh, you're going to see the Son of Man coming at the right hand of his power. And Mark 15, verse uh, 2 Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, yes, I am. While he's going to be, he's getting crucified while he's dying, verse 34, he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which translated means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he dies. And then he rises. And I'd like to conclude with what he said in Mark 16, verse 15. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons, they'll speak in new tongues, they'll take up servants. If they drink anything deadly, it will no longer harm them. They will lay on hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. So this is how Jesus ended what he told them. Now I will comment here, as far as people think they should go around grabbing snakes or drinking poison. In the book of Matthew, chapter 4, Satan tried to tell uh, Jesus, do things that the Bible says you should be able to do. And Jesus said, no, I don't tempt God. So we're not supposed to do that. But we are supposed to go out and preach the gospel. And that's what we're trying to do. Again, you can read the portions of the book of Mark I did not go over. But today, one thing I did or tried to do was from the book of Mark, teach those things that Jesus commanded you.